How's everyone? So great to be with you this morning. Glad you're here. Thanks for coming. I want to start by reading a quote to you. Many a man has been led through the gate of curiosity into the sanctuary of reverence. It's on the screens. Let's read it again. Many a man has been led through the gate of curiosity into the sanctuary of reverence. Similarly, the passage that we're going to keep coming back to this morning is found in Acts chapter 19, verse 17. And it says, curiosity about Paul developed into reverence for the master Jesus. That's taken from the message. Curiosity about Paul developed into reverence for the master Jesus. Curiosity is one of those things that we are just created with, isn't it? There's nothing we can do to stop it. It's just the way it is. We can be curious about anything. It doesn't matter if it's real, fake, animate, inanimate, person, place, thing. It doesn't matter. We all have curiosity. Even animals, right, have curiosity. And that's the focus of our topic today. Simply said, curiosity creates a desire within us to connect, doesn't it? Whatever it is, the object of our curiosity, we have a desire to connect to that object. Curiosity leads to connection. That can be good things. That can be bad things, right? And the Bible is filled with tons of examples of this. Moses, for instance, was led to reverence for God when he saw the burning bush. The shepherds traveled far, far distances to pay reverence to the baby Jesus. Good examples of good curiosity, right? But then on the flip side, bad curiosity. It's tough to beat this one. Adam and Eve, right? They were curious. They ate of the apple, and it led to the fall of humankind. I don't think we can beat that one, right? That's about as, as bad as it can get, right? Thank God for his grace. But if we bring it home, a little closer to home anyway, here at New City Church, many of you are curious about the launch of our new Idlewild campus. And you're prayerfully considering joining the launch team, like so many other people have done. Because that's connected to God, it's going to lead one way or the other to reverence for God. And likewise, many of you are curious about what it means to foster a child. And so you've begun taking classes with our partner, Congregations for Kids, and you're pray, prayerfully considering also if that is this next step for you. Again, it's connected to God, right? And so it leads to this good curiosity, we would say. But again, it doesn't matter what it's in, real, fake, animate, inanimate. We all are just born with curiosity. So as people, curious people, we're most often the most curious about other people. Would you agree with that? It's just intriguing, right, to, to meet and to, whether you're a, an extrovert, an introvert, it's still interesting. We, we follow and choose to look at and mimic, in some cases, different people. Our curiosity leads us to be most curious about other people. So I want to ask you a question this morning as we get started. How many of you lived through the 80s? Let me see a show of hands. You lived through the 80s, right? Okay, most of you in this room. Uh, how about this? How many of you were teenagers in the 80s? Okay, fewer, but still a good group of people. 
I turned 13 in 1982, all right? So pretty much the next most formidable teenage years of my life were in the 80s. Um, a lot of good things about the 80s. Music was not necessarily one of them, but a lot of good things in the 80s for some, right? Um, one of the things that I'm most curious about was a part of the 80s. Um, I, I've spent a lot of time on this earth now. I'm most curious of how this could happen when it once looked like this. I mean, what gives, right? That's some serious flow. I don't care who you are. It was less than six months later that that was a full-blown mullet, okay? And I've convinced myself that that is the unforgivable sin of hair. So I think God looked down on my head and he said, no, no, you're going to be bald. So here we are, right? So aside from my big hair being so great, another great thing about the 80s were malls, right? Malls were a big deal in the 80s. I don't know if any of you can relate with that, but it wasn't even necessarily about going to shop as much as it was about going to see other people. Curiosity. I mean, you're going to meet new people. You're going to see new faces. As a 13-year-old in 1982, a few years earlier than that picture, my grandparents had the fortune of living within five minutes of the brand new mall, the Meadowbrook Mall. And again, in a small town, that's a big deal, okay? They built this brand new mall within five minutes of my grandparents, and the rest is history. You can only imagine that my brother and I had them there at least once a day during the summer, and in some cases, more than once a day. Now, you couldn't pay me to go to the mall today, but in the 1980s when I was a teenager, I wanted to go to the mall. And so my grandfather, we call him Pap. Pap was semi-retired. He had lots of time that he could take us. And he, he would go, he'd drop us off, and he would stay himself there. Generally, he would find himself in the center court of the mall, okay? So whenever we got ready to go, we knew that we could go back to center court and there Pap would be. But I cannot tell you of one single occurrence that we went back that he wasn't in a full-blown conversation with someone. Every time. Pap would be in a conversation. And so inevitably, we'd be walking out of the mall, and one of my brother or I would say, Pap, who was that you were talking to? More times than not, he said, I don't know. <laughs> he just wanted to talk to people. He loved engaging with other people. He was a curious person. He loved to engage other people that way. So just as curious as we can be about other people, here's the scary part. Other people might be just as curious about us, Right? I don't know about you, but that makes me a little bit uncomfortable. I'm not talking about people want to have a conversation with you. They, they want to know everything about you. But even in the instances that we find ourselves in every day, I mean, let's think about this for a minute. Who's a bold, behind-the-wheel kind of person, right? Who's a bold person in the grocery store line or the Starbucks line, right? Maybe they don't want to engage us in a conversation, but make no mistake about it, people are watching us. And their curiosity may be only that big, but they're curious enough to watch. We study each other, don't we? We become familiar with to some degree or another. Some of us are okay with that. And we would say, hey, our lives are an open book. But then others of us go to great lengths to try to, to kind of not be a public person. 
Let me, let me share an example, an illustration um, to hopefully make that make more sense. Um, John Piper wrote a devotion called How to Magnify God. I love John Piper. That man is brilliant. And uh, if you've never read any of his work, please do. He's amazing. Um, in his delivery, he's as brilliant as in his intellect. But How to Magnify God. He used the illustration of microscopes and telescopes. Both are used to magnify and to see things, right? But they're very different from one another. Microscopes allow us to see things that are beyond our naked eye. We can see things at a cellular level, right? It makes them look and appear to be enormous. And as we all know, that led to a lot of medicinal discoveries and great things happened because we had the availability of a microscope. But telescopes are very different, right? They take big things that are far off, sometimes in bigger than our own earth, right? They take and allow us to see those things and they begin to look as big as they actually are. Does that make sense? So uh, the best example is space. Celestial bodies, we're looking at them. In many cases, they're bigger than our own planet Earth but they're so small or there's not enough light or there's too much city light, whatever it is, makes it difficult to see unless we use a telescope. So they're very different. And Piper goes on to say that as Christians, it's not our job to make a small God look bigger, like a microscope, but instead we're to be like telescopes and begin to make God's greatness look as big as it actually is. And that's what's happening here in chapter 19 of Acts. If you want to go ahead and turn there again, people were curious about Paul. So much so that in many cases, they were drawn to reverence for God. Acts chapter 19, verse 17, the last part of that says, their curiosity about Paul developed into reverence for Jesus. And so that's where we're going to pick it up this morning. Um, one of the things that we said earlier is that our curiosity leads us to connection. And what we're going to find out in the, the rest of this chapter, chapter 19, is that as much as our curiosity leads to connection, the connection that Paul, in this case, had to God is what afforded him a holy curiosity. Both his own curiosity about other people, but also it was a holy curiosity for anyone around him that was looking at his life as an example. So I want to pray this morning, if you would, again, just turn to chapter 19 of Acts. Let's pray and we'll jump into the text. Lord God, we do thank you for this day. We thank you that you're a loving God, a merciful God, a God who created us with curiosity. And so, Lord, as, as I've thought and, and prayed over the the words that you've given to me, I, Lord, ask that you would use them to magnify you, to illustrate a point, ultimately to lead us closer to you, our Savior. Through Christ, I pray. Amen. So if we're going to start with a little bit of context. And if you're at chapter 19, you'll see um, that we're in Ephesus. Now, Paul had been to Ephesus before as as we heard in some of the earlier messages, Chris, in fact, talked about it uh, during Paul's second missionary journey. He was there with Aquila, Priscilla. There was a man named Apollos who was there. But Paul, during the second 
missionary journey, didn't stay. God was calling him instead at that time to Caesarea. But these other folks stayed behind. They actually launched a church in Ephesus. Ephesus, in its heyday, at its peak, was a city of about 400,000 people, a big city. International trade made it so. Uh, it, in fact, it was sort of the crowned jewel of Asia Minor in its peak. Just like a lot of cities around us, including our own city of Charlotte, it was filled with a lot of things that people were curious about, right? Other people, making money, idols. And that, in fact, was a huge issue. Again, Chris talked about it even last week, the idol worship that was taking place, in this case, in Ephesus. Specifically, the Ephesians worshiped Artemis. And so, as any city where a lot of people live and there's a lot of things happening, it sets God up to do some great works, doesn't it? Just like here, just like in Ephesus. And so Paul wasted no time jumping right into it. If you look in your Bible, if yours is like mine, you'll see that it's actually this, this chapter is broken out into three sections. Paul in Ephesus, the sons of Sceva, and a riot at Ephesus. Sounds kind of thrilling, doesn't it? In fact, uh, one of the pastors, the, the, Travis Janusik, the campus pastor for our new Idlewild campus, said it this way on Tuesday. It, it could be made into a movie, and in fact, it probably should be made into a movie because there's a lot of wild stuff happening in here. We're going to scratch the surface. I would encourage you to read this whole chapter for yourself. There's so much interesting, fascinating stuff that's happening in it. So again, three sections. Um, we're going to call them the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you'll see why here in just a few moments, hopefully. But if we start at the top in verse 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 5, chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And Paul said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. John the Baptist, that is. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So here we find 12 disciples is what Luke calls them. Now, these aren't the same 12 disciples who walked with Jesus, right? This is in another part of the world with another 12 men in this particular case who were new, apparently, to their faith. Uh, it, it seems like they didn't necessarily have a complete understanding of who Jesus was. Now, we can assume that because they followed John the Baptist, they were disciples of John the Baptist, that they knew something about Jesus because that's what John did. He made it his mission to promote Jesus, who was to come after him. So it's, it's not a stretch that they had been under some teaching about who Jesus was, maybe under Apollos, maybe they had met Priscilla and Aquila, but they didn't have a full comprehension of who Jesus was. They did, however, seem to be most curious about Paul, about him as a man, but also about the words that he was sharing with them. And in this case, 
their curiosity in Paul ultimately led them to a connection with God as evidenced through their baptism in Jesus' name. Their curiosity about Paul led to a connection with God. That connection with God happened and was possible because, because Paul had a connection to God. So the curiosity that surrounded him, in this case and in the others as we'll see, was generated because of his connection, Paul's connection to God. Now, the amazing thing about this is that nowhere in here do we see Paul boasting about what he knew, um, unless he was illustrating a point, right? But in this particular story, Paul didn't boast about what he knew and how he came to know Jesus. Instead, it appears that he shared a more thorough gospel story with them. Um, there's, there's no way that Paul could have fully known how God was gonna use him. As connected as he was to God, he was fully aware that God was going to use him, but he was also fully unaware of how God might be using him. But his connection to God created a holy curiosity that surrounded him. And so not only were the disciples who were curious about Paul, we could call that a good curiosity, couldn't we? But Paul's curiosity was a holy curiosity that connected these men in particular to God. So we'll look at this as the good curiosity, all right, of the good, bad, and the ugly. But if we look in the next section, the sons of Sceva, we see a different scenario, starting in verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them mastered all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And here's our, our key passage for the day. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Again, the message says curiosity about Paul led them, developed into reverence for God, right? That's where it came from. And so once again, we find a group of men who um, are invoking the name of Jesus. But if you catch, catch it here, you, you understand that they're invoking the name of Jesus without having a relationship with Jesus. They're simply in it for the profit, right? In and of itself, making money, great. That's go, go get it, right? But in this case, they were using deceit, maybe even extortion, right, to, to cheat people out of their money. But as the story goes, God would have nothing to do with it. He wasn't going to tolerate it. It says that the man um, literally attacked seven men, got the best of them, sent them away running, wounded and afraid, right? We could say pretty clearly, pretty easily, I think, that their connection, their curiosity about Paul 
was not a good curiosity. It was a bad curiosity. It was, it was built off of selfish ambition and greed, right? They used deceit as a means to try to gain their profit. But the interesting thing about this, this particular event, is that it says that it led others to curiosity in Paul. And again, because of Paul's connection to God, it says that many came to revere God, came to know God, came to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, we're going to call this the bad curiosity. I mean, this stuff, it really could be a movie, don't you think? You could create a movie out of this. Um, The last one, and certainly not least, is a riot at Ephesus. So let's look beginning in verse 23. About that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. For a man named Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business to the craftsmen. These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded And turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there's a danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing. And that she may be even deposed from her magnificence. She whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, they were enraged and they were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with confusion, and they rushed together into the theater. The theater, by the way, was able to hold 25,000-plus people, all right? They filled it up, it says. If we jump down to verse 32, now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. I mean, you can only describe that as ugly, right? You don't even know why you're there rioting, right? But that's the story. That's what's happening in this scene. Again, We'll look at it and call it the ugly curiosity. There's nothing good about it. Their motive, again, is surrounding selfish greed, selfish ambition, idolatry. Their only curiosity that they had in Paul was a bad curiosity. They wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to shut him up. Because Paul's connection to God was leading him to call out idolatry. And in particular, Artemis, as we see here. But not only that, Paul's connection to God was hurting their bottom line, wasn't it? Uh, Apparently, he was pretty effective at it, too, if they were feeling the crunch on their bottom line. Again, the display can only be listed as ugly. Um, Specifically for me, the thing that was most fascinating, maybe even comical to some degree, is that they didn't even know why why they were mad. This highlights something that's very real for us even today in this day and age, right? Maybe even more so than then because of the advent of social media. I mean, not saying that social media is bad. I'm just saying you put something out there and it can turn into wildfire in a moment, right? Just a couple of weeks ago, maybe some of you read the story about Olive Garden. I don't know about the boycott Olive Garden. Anybody catch that? There was possibly a a, a morsel of truth to it. It was political, and you know how that goes, right? But in a moment, one tweet goes out, and everybody jumps on the hashtag, boycott Olive Garden. 
to the point that Avogadro is saying, we don't even know what this is about, you know, just stop. But all of these people had jumped into and jumped on board with something they really probably weren't even clear about. But it appears they didn't know the truth about it. It just highlights, this in particular highlights how easy we can be pulled into something because of our emotion, because of our lack of knowledge and understanding. So we have to be careful of that. Instead of blindly following anyone or anything, we need to make sure that our curiosity is in someone, something that's connected to God, like Paul. And if we do that, then we can trust that our curiosity is a holy curiosity, is a good curiosity. So let's go back to the illustration of microscopes and telescopes. I want to read Piper's, sort of his summary, if you will. He said this, the whole duty of the Christian can be summed up in this. Feel, think, and act in a way that will make God look as great as he really is. So how do we do that? Well, here at New City Church, we would say it's through the three S's. The three S's represent our values, what we believe to be most valuable for any of you who would call New City their church home. If you go to our website right now, the homepage lists those three S's. And in fact, there's a link out to even learn more about it. So I would encourage you to do that if it doesn't make sense this morning. But in short, the three S's were stirred by Scripture in rows. We come together in this worship environment, in this room, in our next-gen space. We come together in rows. And we're stirred by Scripture. We hear about Jesus, who he was, who he is now, a loving God. We're stirred by Scripture. We struggle well, and we would say in community groups, and you just heard a great plug for GroupLink, we would say that no one should walk alone. And groups are the main avenue for struggling well. Not that all of life is hard, right? But a lot of life is hard. There's a lot of struggle in every season of our lives. Groups don't make it easy. They do make it easier. We all, while we're in misery, love to have someone with us, don't we? And in our own personal experience, as well as I can say you, you surely have, uh, those of you who are in groups have surely experienced that to have someone to encourage you, to offer you hope in the midst of a, a, buff, a tough situation, it just makes it easier. So we struggle well and we serve others in our city and in our world. We're in a worship environment in rows. We're in a community group in circles together and we serve our city and world as arrows. We go from this place, having heard the word of God, living under the grace of a loving savior and we try to share that with others. It's that simple, the three S's. So the bottom line for today is simply this. Curiosity leads to connection, and connection to God leads to holy curiosity. Let's pray. Lord God, again, we just are thankful that you've created us with this curiosity, this desire to be connected 
Lord, to connected to things that are great that you've created, but also connected to things um, that may not have come from you, that you may not have intended to be um, curious in that way. And it's from those things, Lord, we ask that you would protect our hearts, that you would guard our minds and our thoughts, that we would not head down unhealthy pathways, Lord, that instead we would have a holy curiosity that is connected to God, and that, Lord, we would begin to be able to discern not only the curiosity that we have in other things, but, Lord, that we would begin to be mindful of others' curiosity in us. May it be a holy curiosity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.